Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Hard Hitting Sports Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Lauby, and as always, joined by my co-host, Jack Bradley. Unfortunately, not sitting next to each other this time around. We are on our computers, but that's okay. Jack, how was your Easter weekend? It was great. It actually got extended to today, Marathon Monday here in Boston. As you can see, for those at home, I'm wearing the Red Sox City Connect jersey, Raphael Devers. Uh, but it was a great weekend. Um, Sports-wise, great playoffs. I went to a Backstreet Boys party on Saturday, so I uh, had to watch some NBA highlights when I got home that night. But um, overall, great weekend. Boston sports uh, did pretty well up until today. Got to go to the marathon for the first time. I've lived in Newton. I've lived in Newton, Massachusetts, my whole life, and I've never been to a Boston marathon. So that was the that was the first time. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Love to hear that. Yeah. How was the marathon? Uh, marathon was good. It was definitely, I mean, it was definitely packed. Uh, we were right on Com Ave, right over by Heartbreak Hill. So it was a good time. A lot of cowbells, a lot of people cheering, a lot of motivation. You know, you, you see nowadays, not everyone's so positive and it, it's nice. Everyone, you know, only words of encouragement. Uh, you know, there's people walking along the way. We saw some of the people in wheelchairs, which props to you if you're pushing somebody in a wheelchair for 26.2 miles. I think that's pretty tough. Um, made me kind of want to potentially sign up for it and try to get to that point in my running game, but I got to get back up to 10 K first before we even start thinking about that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I've only ran a 5k. That's the longest I've done. Um, did four miles once, but that was more so for football challenges where we had to hold weights on our shoulders as we ran four miles. So that was not fun. Um, but most ever in an actual running competition was definitely, um, 5k i've ran i think three or four of those in my life and th those were all great experience all when i was much younger and in much better shape than i am now um but still great experience to hear about the boston marathon unfortunately i did not have off today since i'm all the way out in shrewsbury on the uh way outskirts of boston so did not have that luxury but still solid work day solid easter weekend and for those at home um that follow our tiktok account or any social media obviously jack and i have our own uh, TikTok accounts. And I'm actually starting a, for those, for those that know me and Jack sure knows this, I'm a huge Game of Thrones nerd and fan. Um, so I'm starting a new series where I give my own rankings and own ratings to each episode. We'll be going from the very first episode to the last episode, all the way through ranking each and every one, looking to post that every weekday. Um, if not every day, we'll see how it works out. But the way it's scheduled right now, it'll land right up to the week before the new Game of Thrones series, House of Dragon. Uh, so if you're a Game of Thrones fan, definitely tune into that. It's going to be a fun series. It's been really fun going through all the episodes. Just read, uh, wrapped up the ratings for season three last night. So I'll start season four later tonight. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Because uh, season four, as of right now, without rating anything, is my favorite season out of all of them. So, Jack, I know you, correct me if I'm wrong, you haven't seen Game of Thrones, correct? Seen a couple episodes here and there. I think I even watched the first two or three on my own. Um, I know the Bryant squad watched a few episodes that I caught in on. I don't know if it's a show I can get into, but uh, don't disrespect anybody that that does uh, enjoy it because it's definitely the unpopular opinion for someone that doesn't like it. So yeah, it is. Or does, I shouldn't say doesn't like it, but just doesn't watch it. Yeah, it is. It is very. It it appeals to a very particular audience, but if you can get through. The blood and gore that they kind of numb you to through the first three episodes uh the plot is incredible all the twists and turns and all the inner working plots and schemes that happen in it is really neat to watch unravel 
um, George R. R. Martin, one of the greatest authors of our time, um, just absolute mastermind. So, if you haven't yeah. seen Game of Thrones, highly recommend it. I know we've talked about it a few times on the show before. Yeah, you uh, um, you compared it when we had Ben Porter on. You compared yeah, it, it to Bachelor, and it was uh, it was yeah, that was something. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Well. Uh, uh. Yeah. Speaking of blood and gore, blood and gore, we had a uh, very back and forth game yesterday. Game one in Boston, mm-hmm. Celtics Nets. Uh, probably was what made my Easter and my weekend a lot better. But, um, that was quite some game a lot of people saying this this Celtics net series is going to be the best first round series potentially ever um I think we need to see go back a couple years in time when Kevin Garnett was hurt and the Celtics played the rookie Derrick Rose Bulls as a two seed um when they were the seven seed I think we had four overtime games including a triple overtime game um in that seven game series Ray Allen had 50 points in one of those games as well so um, still a lot, but if, it, if that game one's going to be a testament, I mean, did you, I know you obviously watched that game. I don't know how much you saw start to finish. I mean, I sat down, I isolated myself from my family cause I knew I was going to have to, <laughs> um, and it was, that was something that was, that was a good win for the Celtics, a uh, tough loss for, for Brooklyn. But, um, I don't know if you had any takeaways cause I definitely have some jotted down here. Yeah, I, I watched the game start to finish. Um, we were in the middle of setting up Easter dinner, but I made sure the TV was on and I watched, you know, every possible second I could. A couple of my takeaways is that if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving can't get on the same page and they can't get hot at the same time, or at least both have good games, because on paper it looks like Durant had a great game, but he was garbage for the first yeah. half and halfway through the third quarter really played two and a half really bad quarters. Um, but once he got on, that's when the Celtics started to fall behind, even though they did fall behind earlier in the game. That was more so the fault of the Celtics than anything else. But back to my point, if Kevin Durant and Kyrie cannot get on the same page and both play well, the Nets are going to get swept. I No doubt about it. The Nets are going to play horribly. Um, the Nets' defense was on full display that it is absolute garbage. Andre Drummond was doing nothing on the defensive end. He wasn't even going up for rebounds. He was staying on the floor. Um, out of, out of everyone on the nets that performed above expectations. Cause we all expected the Kyrie have a big game first game back in Boston like that um, in a playoff atmosphere. Uh, Claxton had an, inc- I'm not going to say incredible game, but he was definitely a difference maker in terms of defense, grabbing rebounds, um, driving to the lane. Uh, Second highest plus the- minus on the team for yeah, that game. Him and Dragic. Changer. Yeah, yeah. If, it, if it wasn't for Drummond getting as many fouls as he did, I don't think that game is as close as it is because that gave Clax an opportunity to get on the court. Um, so and that's got to play better first and foremost. And the Celtics need to capitalize on mistakes. They had what ten turnovers in the first quarter, or they they forced ten turnovers in the first. They had quarter. seven. They, I think I think they had seven. Durant, I know, had four first half turnovers, and I feel like the Celtics weren't taking of those transition opportunities. Missed a ton of bunnies how many layups did they miss in total I mean I felt like they were especially in the first quarter and the I think towards the fourth quarter as well yeah Jalen Brown was missing a lot of those too he was missing a lot the biggest the biggest thing I have here the net shot over they shot 53.8 percent in the game Celtics only shot 47.2 Nets still shot four almost 46 percent from three and the Celtics shot 36.4 and the Celtics still came away with the win that's my biggest thing here we weren't making our layups we weren't making anything here, and it just ended up. I don't know. On the TV, <laughs> I don't know. You pull up something on ESPN, and it just starts playing clips. But the worst. 
Ah, but anyways, I mean, that's the thing is, is the Celtics didn't play their best offensive game. Their bench was horrendous. Derek White did not have a good game. Grant Williams was not making open shots. Peyton Pritchard didn't really play too many minutes. It was really, I mean, Al Horford, he heard Bruce Brown's comments, uh, came out firing. He had 12 points in the first quarter, 15 rebounds for the game. Um, and obviously the, his biggest one on that last possession. I think that Celtics possess, defensive possession and offensive possession, both were their top in their top five of possessions all year. Cause that defensive possession at the end, double teaming Kyrie, he couldn't get the pass off to a cutting Bruce Brown. Kevin Durant can, you know, he's one of those guys you're okay with him taking that 35 foot shot in the face of Jason Tatum, but obviously wasn't having a good game. Tatum, a good defender. Horford came down with the rebound and then just the growth of Marcus smart, man, 20 points in this game, you know, Jalen Brown cutting to the hoop, kicks it out to smart. If this was probably even last year, Marcus smart is taking that three pointer in double coverage, knew the game, knew how much time was on the clock, had the presence to take two dribbles up, throw the pass to a cutting Tatum and get to the hoop and get a layup um, past Kyrie, who I think was trying to foul him. Uh, Tatum, they were in the bonus, so that would have been two free throws, regardless if Tatum was shooting or not. But, you know, better for the Celtics to get the basket right there because we weren't making our free throws either. So overall, I agree with you. Good game. It's it's a good chance it goes at least six, probably seven. Um, but game two is going to be interesting because Kevin Durant's not going to struggle. I doubt, I highly doubt he's going to struggle like he did in game one, but I think the Celtics offense too, isn't going to struggle like they did in game one as well. The Nets were not playing defense. The Celtics, like I said, missed a lot of bunnies, missed a lot of wide open threes. I don't think we're going to see that in game two as well. So it's going to counteract and it's going to really be, can Kyrie, like you said, can Kyrie and Durant both put up over 30 and can the Celtics bench actually step up? Cause the Celtics bench, I think all in all should be the Nets bench and the Nets bench, like you said, Claxton, Dragic, um, Patty Mills, even, you know, all outplayed everyone on the Celtics bench. Mm-hmm. And who knows, maybe after the performance that motivates Ben Simmons to try to come back from his injury earlier. I doubt it, but there could be an inkling there that it does. And that's just another star added yeah. to that already crazy lineup that they have. Um, yeah. I mean, and Seth, Seth Curry, even the first half, he played a really solid first half and then kind of disappeared in the second. Um, I think he's a player that if they go to more often, I think it helped elevate this team, especially when Kevin Durant's down and maybe the next game Kyrie's down. He's someone that they can go to um, who can make play after play and really help this team pull out some wins in this series. But l- like I said, as of right now, if the Nets play like they played the other night and the Celtics can minimize the uh, – the shortcomings on opportunities they were given Celtics are going to sweep the nets at this point in the series, based on what happened. Um, yeah. Because so, yeah. the, the fact the game was that close is really more on the Celtics poor management on opportunities rather than the nets just playing bad basketball. Yeah. And I think the Celtics are going to have to get out. I mean, I'm, I'm going to game two, as always, you all knew I was going to be at a game this series, but um, no, I think the Celtics are going to have to capitalize, especially with these stretches. We don't play again till Wednesday and then Saturday is until is game three. So we have two stretches of two days off and then it's going to go every other. You saw that yesterday. I think Tatum maybe sat out two minutes in the third quarter, usually sits out the beginning of the fourth. He played the full fourth. I'm pretty sure Al Horford played the whole fourth quarter as well, which we do not see in regular season basketball Ime Odoka smarter than that in the regular season obviously with these stretches you can do that but I think it's going to be more important for the Celtics to get out to these big leads especially in this series be up 2-0 going back to Brooklyn so when you are playing these back-to-back especially you mentioned it with Simmons if we get Rob Williams back as well he's not going to be playing 25-30 minutes off the bat it's going to be in 15-minute increments and same for the Nets too 
um, with Simmons coming back, not even having played all year, at least Rob's played within, you know, the last month or so. So, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I guess we can kick it over to your guys. Cause, uh, Joel Embiid was maybe the fourth or fifth best player on your team on yeah, Saturday. I, and that's not an exaggeration. No, I mean, and I, I think I'm okay with Embiid being the fourth. Yeah, you won. Well, that matters. I mean, Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, James Harden, all playing lights out, especially Tyrese Maxey with 38 points, most ever by someone age 22 or younger for the 76ers. Um, so really great to see from him. Um, James Harden obviously was doing a great job dishing the rock out and just not making dumb turnovers, not forcing passes like he normally does, making sound decisions. The Raptors couldn't keep up with their offense um, for what it looked like for the most part of the game. So uh, you you said Raptors in seven. I said Sixers in what, six? I th- th- This is another series that if both teams play the same way and the Sixers continue not to make mistakes like they had been at the tail end of the year, um, I think this is going to be a sweep. It's it's one of those that is just looking and brewing. Like if one team doesn't capitalize or one team keeps not making mistakes, they're going to run away with the series. Um, obviously, Siakam and OG Ananobi played pretty solid. Both put up 20 plus points. So credit to them. I mean, but you're going to expect Siakam to put up 20 plus. Fred Van Bleet near 20 shot over 50% from the field. Got 18 points there. He played pretty solid, but overall, really not much help from anyone else. Scotty Barnes was getting abused all day by Embiid. You know, some of it did look He's out. Um, and he is going to be out. For, uh, for how many games is he going to be out? Do we know? They, they didn't say that he's definitely out tonight. Sprained ankle. And I, you guys don't have that many days off in the beginning of the series, I believe. So I want to say game three for y'all is Wednesday, if I'm not uh, mistaken. I think, I think your game three is when our game two is. Yeah, um, so that's gonna be that's gonna be a tough turnaround. Sprained ankles, I feel like, are usually a, a one to two week turnaround time. I know it's the playoffs, especially if you're down two. Oh, maybe rush him back, but he's also your future. You don't want to rush him back. Yeah, I was gonna say stuff. he's a rookie, so does he have the mentality to even push through something like that? And as a rookie, if he does choose to push through it, is it something that he can manage? Is that something that's gonna get into his mental? Obviously, he's a professional athlete. But if you want to compare pushing through an injury like a sprained ankle compared to a torn Achilles like Kobe, um, then it's like, I mean, they're two completely different injuries, but Kobe was at least still able to go out and shoot free throws after that. Um, yes, he's going to miss at least a game or two, but can Scotty Barnes mentally recover from that um, and push through? So yeah, that's, that's something we'll have to see. Obviously one of the top rookie of the year candidates, he played awesome basketball all year long. I believe he was a top five leader in all major categories out of all the rookies, um, or at least compared to the rest of the rookies was only yeah. one in top five points, steals, assists, blocks, rebounds. Um, so that that's Raptors are going to feel that pressure not being able to capitalize on that. But overall, I was really happy with how the Sixers played. Um, Obviously, cutting down on the turnovers is going to be one thing from the rest of the supporting cast. But overall, I mean, Tyrese and Tobias doing their thing as sort of role players in that offense. James Harden looks like he's coming back to surface, and it's just a matter of time before Embiid puts up another 30-10 game and obliterates the Raptors' defense. 
Yeah. And you could tell as much as I despise Kyle Lowry and Nick Nurse, you could tell the Raptors were missing that veteran presence as Kyle Lowry stepped up on Trey Young big time on Sunday. Um, Tyrese Maxey, I mean, not that Kyle Lowry has the speed of Tyrese Maxey and can keep up with him, but having that playoff experience, a champion in Kyle Lowry, being able to at least slow him down, you could see that missing um, on the Raptors. And, and I expect them to come out. I expect tonight's game to be a lot closer. I know you guys will be listening to this tomorrow or later this week when we're already a few games into this series, <laughs> but I think game two is going to be tight. I think Nick nurse is, you know, NBA champion coach. He knows what he's doing. He's one of the best in-game adjustment coaches. So it was kind of surprised that Maxie just kept going and going and going, but again, he did figure out and beat. He did have a way to shut him down. Kind of like Kevin Durant with that, that Celtics game. So um, you know, Siakam had an all NBA season, Fred Van Fleet steps up in these kinds of opportunities. Um, you know, this team, we forget they're three years off of an NBA championship. They are two years off of a bubble run where they probably should have beaten the Celtics in that series and potentially gotten to the NBA finals. A lot of that same core is there. So, you know, I, I, I think, I don't think the Celtics are going to sweep. I don't think the Sixers are going to sweep either, but, um, you know, Sixers got to take care of business tonight at home. I think this is a big game for them, especially. I know Thibault didn't play much in game one. I'm sure if they needed him, he would have been in there playing more. I'm sure Doc Rivers wants to prepare them for two games without him, especially if you are going back 1-1. But, you know, we'll see him tonight, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. it's going to be a good series. I think it's. I think, I think we're getting at least six in both of these first two series we talked about. I, th- I think this is the series if, let's say, Tybal was hurt and was out for the season and wasn't in this game, I think it's a series that we can manage without him, if, yeah. we, if I put it that way. So I think yeah. him playing a couple minutes isn't detrimental. I think missing him for the Raptors games is not going to be detrimental either as long as Maxi, Tobias, and Embiid pick it up on the defensive end and even Korkmaz gets a couple opportunities on the defensive side as well. I think they're going to be fine. Uh, but again, obviously, when we get into other series, we're definitely going to need him on the defensive end, somewhat of the offensive end, even though he's not hes not a scorer. He's not someone you're going to look to to make plays, but will make them when needed, and he gets his opportunities. So, You need guys uh, like him in the playoffs to win games. 100%. And someone that you know, a certain team needs that you mentioned earlier, the Atlanta Hawks, Trey Young looking night and day from the playing game um, against the Cavaliers. That was an awful performance from Trey young. I, I watched a good amount of the game that's yeah. on out of the Trey young games. I've seen that's the worst I've ever seen him play. And I think that's honestly his worst game he's had since he's gotten to the NBA. Yeah, it, it's definitely a struggle. I think we heard Nate Mc and Hawks, Trey young. They're, they're not a team that makes excuses. I think the turnaround time of playing Wednesday night in Atlanta you know, going out to Cleveland, playing Friday night, and then having to turn around and play the first game on Sunday, less than 48 hours later. I get it. It's a long NBA season. That's what happens when you're the nine seed and don't end up uh, in that top seven or top eight with a chance to just win one game. But yeah, definitely struggle. Kyle Lowry did play really great defense. I mean, Duncan Robinson, eight of nine from three as well off the bench. I think a lot of people were sleeping on the heat. I know you had them in, and I'm not saying you're sleeping on them by any means, because I had the heat in six. I think, I mean, I think we all expected the heat to come out and win game one. That's what you're supposed to do is the one seed the way they did it probably a little bit different than we all expected, but similar to like what we said with Joel Embiid and Kevin Durant, Trey Young's going to come back out. He's going to have more than four assists in game two. He's going to have more than eight points in game two. I think game two is going to be a lot tighter defensively, but got to give the heat credit they they are healthy in time they're the one seed in the east for a reason i mean 
on paper, the Eastern Conference this year, probably better than the Western Conference. I know the Suns obviously had that great stretch, but when you look at the Heat, Bucks, Sixers, Nets, Celtics, and really put the Raptors and even the Bulls after their their close loss yesterday, I mean, that's a that's a tough top seven to come out on top all year, you know, kind of really being in that one seed all year. I know there was the end of March a little bit, they fell off, but then they, you know, won some good games against the Celtics and Bucks. So Eric Spolstra, man. Hall of Fame coach. I, I, I know a lot of people don't give him the credit. I'm happy he made the All-NBA 75 team. I know two of his championships, obviously, with LeBron. But still, I think, um, you know, if you guys match up with them in the second round, I know a lot of people are going to be picking Philadelphia, but that's going to be another tough series looking ahead a little bit. Yeah. The, the one thing I will say about the Hawks-Heat game is that the, the Hawks shot 15% worse from the field and almost 20% worse from the three-point. Um, and they only lost by 20. I know I'm saying only lost by 24. Yeah. That's a blowout by all stretches of the imagination. But to shoot that much worse and only get blown out by that much. I mean, if the Hawks make, you know, nine or 10 more shots and get somewhat close to the shooting percentage that the Heat had, um, that's a completely different ball game. Hawks are winning that all the way. And I think a lot of that rests on Trey's young shoulders. Um, he went one of 12 from the field, 07 from three. You know, he makes half of those, let's say he goes three, seven from three, and he makes, he goes six to 12 from the field, you know, that that's an additional almost 15, 16 points right there that they get just from him playing a little bit better than he did um, that night. I mean, not a little bit better. I mean, five, five extra shots is a big deal, but for someone like Trey, that's anything he could do on a given night. So I, I think that game, I'm not going to blame Trey Young completely, but I think if he contributes more, that game's a lot, lot closer. Yeah. And it looks on the scoreboard. And I think the Heat might be scratching themselves a little bit um, harder than they are doing right now. So I think if Trey Young can figure it out and then get someone else to score over 20 because they didn't have a single score over 20 points that night, um, I think the Hawks are right back in this series, you know. Yeah, again, definitely, definitely praises what the Heat's defense has done. And like I said, I think game two is going to be a lot closer in that series. Um, and that's why we have it. That's why we have it going six and seven. Um, one guy I want to give some credit to as well. We gave a lot of credit to Maxi and definitely well-deserved Jordan Poole of the Golden yeah. State Warriors, 30 points in his playoff debut. Um, he's been a guy who's been itching to get into the playoffs. They were saying during the broadcast, you know, he's been pulling clay Steph, Draymond over to the sideline on the bench and practice asking what it's like to play in a playoff game. They obviously didn't make it last year, losing to the Grizzlies. Uh, in that playing game and it show, I mean, Jordan Poole probably coming off the bench tonight, uh, according to Steve Kerr as well, 30 points off the bench, seven of eight from the free throw line shot five of seven from three and kind of looked a little bit like Steph Curry out there draining some pretty deep shots um, played most that out of the second half. He played most of um, I think Steph didn't come in until about five with probably about five or four minutes to go. Um, left in the third. So Poole was out there. They were building the lead with him out there. Aaron Gordon obviously had it. I mean, pretty much everybody on the Nuggets, not named uh, Nikola Jokic or Will Barton, had a pretty off night. But uh, pretty big numbers from Jordan Poole, 30 points in his playoff debut, plus seven. Draymond Green obviously showing his importance with a plus 21, uh, plus minus. And then uh, Steph Curry as well. I mean, you know, 22, 22 minutes, five of 13 from the field. Uh, still shot 50% from three. So I know I said Warriors in seven. And again, I don't want to jump the gun because it's one game into the series. And, you know, a lot of calls didn't go the Nuggets way, but they looked really, really good. They looked like the old Warriors we've been waiting for since, probably since December or January. 
Yeah, I mean, with with the consideration of last year, you know, technically they didn't make playoffs because they lost the two mm-hmm. playing games they were in. But just like you said, like this is the Warriors of old. These are the Warriors we're used to. That I mean, they haven't been to playoffs in the past two seasons up until this year. You know, the, obviously Steph Curry was out for the majority of the 2019-2020 season. Yep. And then 2020, or excuse me, oh uh, yeah, 2020 and 2021 was just you know what it was. Uh, only 72 games. It's kind of tough for a team that was kind of rebuilding with Steph back full time, missing Clay for the entire year kind of struggled to figure out their identity, but now they have Clay and Steph on the court in a playoff game for the first time in three years together. Um, and even Curry's trying to build his way back. Once Curry and Clay are starting full-time on the court together with Jordan Poole giving some, some blows here and there, I would be very feel fearful of the Warriors going into the next round, semifinals, finals, whatever you want to, wherever they get to. Um, they're not a team to be underestimated and could make a run to the uh, Western Conference Finals. Yeah, no, 100%. 100% agree with that. Biggest thing, too, for the Nuggets, Jamal Murray, apparently, according to Woj, he can come back pretty much whenever he wants. Obviously, he hasn't played in, I think it was April of 2021, so about a year since he's last played. Um, I don't know, again, if he comes back, probably will be playing somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes. I would like to see him back. Are the Nuggets going to win this series necessarily if he comes back? Probably not. But again, you get the Warriors or you really get anyone to a game seven. Anything can happen. I don't know. The Warriors obviously good on paper. I see them going up 2-0 and, and bringing this back to Denver and really putting the pressure on Nikola Jokic and those guys to, uh, and obviously they need Aaron Gordon to step up, but um, that's just going to be a big storyline. I think with it's, I feel like every series now, it's like, there's one guy who can come back for some team and, you know, it's, it's gonna Jamal Murray, I think is probably the second best player on the nuggets. No offense to Aaron Gordon, but, mm-hmm. um, they're going to need him if, if they want to win this series, I think ultimately as well. So for sure. So yeah, with those four games, you know, with the big performances aside, we obviously had the Timberwolves over the Grizzlies, the, yeah. Jazz, the Jazz over the Mavs without Luka Doncic. Um, you had the Bucks over the Bulls in somewhat of a close game, only a yeah. point difference. And then the Suns over the Pelicans. Out of those games, obviously the Bucks and Suns over the Bulls and Pelicans respectively was not super disappointing. But out of those four games, is there any you think that have a, hold a little more weight in terms of worry for the other team than some of the other games? I actually was going to say the Bucks and Bulls game. I know everyone's probably thinking the Grizzlies, but when you look at it, Minnesota was Minnesota and the Grizzlies were the top two scoring teams in the NBA this year. It's the first time ever the top two scoring teams have faced off in a playoff series. So um, I think the Bucks game though, I actually watched pretty much that whole game start to finish after the Celtics yesterday and the Bulls looked good. They were down 16 early. I know it was a rough start. They couldn't get anything to fall, but they battled their way back. Chris Middleton had a really off game. Drew Holiday didn't show up till about three minutes left in the game. Giannis <laughs> did Giannis things. But out, having Alex Caruso back, like I think if, if the Bulls had Lonzo in this series, this would be one of those series, again, that we'd be talking about going seven. I think you had the Bucks sweep and I had the Bucks in five because I do think you know, the series goes back to Chicago 2-0 Milwaukee, but I think, you know, the fans of the Bucks, DeRozan's ability to take over, um, and obviously Zach Levine's scoring ability as well, too. The other thing I had on this, too, Zach Levine, five fouls, so he couldn't be as aggressive defensively and really offensively. I know he's a guy that that shoots a high percentage from three-point land, but also can drive to the hoop. That makes him so versatile. You saw him not driving as much with that fifth foul, I think called with about 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. 
So I'd say, I mean, there's no moral victories in the NBA playoffs, but uh, Bucks, I think the Bulls were down one point with a minute 30 left. And then the Bucks ultimately scored the last six points of that game. Uh, making it look a little bit bigger on paper. Um, but if the Bucks or if the Bulls just could have gotten some of those open shots to go down, um, you know, I think we're looking at a 1-0 Bulls series lead. So I wouldn't say I'm disappointed because obviously it's all about wins at this time of the year, but the Bucks do got to figure out Chris Middleton's got to step up, shoot better, um, you know, and not really rely on Brooke Lopez as much to kind of save his ass at the end there. So 100%. I agree with that. Um, I did not catch any of the Bulls game because I was actually traveling back from Long Island up to Mass, so I wasn't able to catch any of that. But from what I've seen on paper, what I've seen on the highlights, it looked more kind of like the Nets, just not capitalizing and creating good opportunities. Um, Looked about the same for the Bulls. Shot really poor from the field. Shot even worse from the three-point line. Weren't getting rebounds. Weren't being aggressive offensively at all, like you said, with the Zach Levine point. Um, You know, and obviously having Caruso back is going to be a major deal for them. Um, but for him to only take about seven shots, uh, one of his, not one of his first games back, but his first big playoff game, um, since his last time with the Lakers. I mean, I, we, we have to see more from Caruso in terms of taking more shots and not relying on DeRozan and Levine, uh, going into the next game. Cause DeRozan was just chucking up shots from what I saw and nothing was really yeah. landing for him. I mean, he goes six of 25 from the field. Um, especially from mid-range, that's his shot. Like, that's what he's best known for, and he was not hitting anything from mid-range. Still got 18 points with the help of a couple free throws here and there. But overall, just to play 43 minutes and only come up with 18 points on a high shot volume of 25 shots, like, you got to do better, especially the star type of player that he is and how he's led this team into playoffs. Um, we'll, We'll have to see, obviously, more from him. Uh, in game two, but I like, like you said, I if they capitalize, it's going to be serious. But if they don't, I think the Bucks can easily run away with this, and I'm going to stick with my 4-0 sweep. If the Bucks can capitalize on their own mistakes, like you said, Middleton and Holiday weren't doing anything for the majority of the game. Yeah, yeah, and Vucevic too. I think Vucevic had a couple solid runs here and there throughout the game. He kind of carried them back a little bit. Um, especially when the Bulls took a lead. I think at one point the Bulls were up by five or six midway through the third. Um, he was a big part of that, but it's going to be a tough series for him as well with Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, and obviously Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, down low. There's not going to be a lot inside. And again, that's probably why you saw DeRozan not shoot as efficiently because he's not that three-point shooter. He can obviously make them if you're not guarding him, but that's not his game. That's really not Levine's game either. And obviously they not Vucevic's game either. So like you said, Caruso, Kobe White, they're going to have to be guys that they can, you know, trust to shoot the three ball and have those open shots go in. Exactly. Yeah. Did you have a game that, that stood out to you and kind of I, opened your eyes? I'm assuming Memphis, or was it that game? You no, know, it, it was the Bulls game, but I did yeah. catch a good amount of the Memphis Timberwolves game. I was yeah. at a restaurant um, Saturday night watching it, and it just looked like Cat and Anthony Edwards absolutely took over that game. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, you know, didn't get a whole lot of opportunities as much as he did as that playing game, but Anthony Edwards is looking like an absolute star in the making. Obviously, we yeah. already know how good he is. I've had a solid rookie campaign. Um, has kind of built his way up. I mean, I'm, people are making comparisons to that killer mentality of Kobe and MJ. You could definitely see it on full display. He goes in and takes down um, arguably the most improved player in the league, John Morant, takes down Desmond Bain pretty easily, who held down the fort while Ja was out. And 
I mean, it was close for a good amount of the game, but at the end, Cat and him just pulled pulled it absolutely away. Um, and Anthony Edwards is going to be a star in this league for a long, long time. And obviously, Cat just cold blooded can hit it from three, can drive and dunk all over you and hit mid-range when he wants to and has the awareness to dish the ball when he absolutely needs to. So it's yeah. th those two together is unreal. And then you add in someone like D'Angelo Russell to that mix, um, and that offense is absolutely kicking. It's a young core that they can build around for years to come. This might be a team that can make its way into the top three in the West for the next four to five years. Yeah. No, I think the Timberwolves gained a, are gaining a lot of great experience. I mean, we saw it in the play-in game as well. Carl Anthony Towns had four fouls in the first half, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And if not, it was within the first three minutes of the second half. He had his fourth foul. He had five fouls relatively early in the fourth quarter as well. I believe he only had eight points, maybe, maybe 11 points, but you saw guys, like you said, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, um, I think has been someone that stepped up. He had nine or 15 points in game one off the bench, Malik Beasley as well, 23 okay. points off the bench. Um, all the other than Jared Vanderbilt, all four other starters for the Timberwolves had plus minuses over 12, wow. um, in the positive direction, which is good. Pat Beverly's been quite the addition on that team. I know a lot of people don't like Pat Beverly, especially if he is not on your basketball team. I know the, the Timberwolves got a lot of shit too, for celebrating their play and win, which I don't like so much. Like it's, I get it. It's a play and win, but like, would you rather them not care at all? I mean, it shows that this team cares. Pat Beverly came in back in August and said, this team's getting to the playoffs and people were like, okay, Pat, Sure. Tell us about it. And here they are, you know, one, one Oh series lead in this series. I think I know a lot of people are saying like the Celtics nets, that's going to be the two seven series that we're all watching, but this is going to be a lot closer than people think. I said that, you know, Grizzlies in six, and I wasn't surprised by any means that Minnesota came out and did what they did. Could really see it going seven as well. John Morant's obviously, I mean, he still had over 30 points guys like Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain didn't have the best games in the world. Um, the other day, Dylan Brooks, I mean, still shot 50% from the field, but um, I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be a great series. It's going to be a, a good series. Cat has a lot to prove. I feel like Pat Beverly has a lot to prove. I feel like D'Angelo Russell has a lot to prove as well. Yeah. I, the one thing I will say is that they, the Timberwolves have been one of the biggest laughing stocks in the NBA since 04, 05. I mean, they made yeah. playoffs once since then that was 2018, 2019, and they lost uh, the first round. Um, I mean, the Timberwolves really haven't had a significant playoff push since the Kevin Durant, uh, Kevin Garnett days, excuse me, not Kevin Durant. That would be <laughs> yes. wild if he was in the NBA since uh, 03, 04. Um, but they've had a losing record every year besides this year and then that playoff season since 2005. And not even just losing records, they've been the bottom of their division for a long time and sometimes even the bottom of the conference, you know. So I think for a team to celebrate a play and win, especially with the recent, the the very recent struggles that they've had and the more even elongated struggles they've had over the past decade, almost two decades, I think it's warranted. I think they get to celebrate and I love the energy they had. Because like you said, would you rather team just not care about winning a playing game or would you rather them have that energy and build off that? And obviously I'm not going to say that's 100% the reason they won, but that energy carried into that playoff game. And yeah. It was infectious, and it gave them momentum to just go up on a really good Grizzlies team that I have going to the finals. And I forget if you have them going to the finals either. 
Um, Suns, baby. Yeah, Suns, that's correct. Um, but, I mean, it, it's a team that a you know, good amount of people are saying can make it to the finals, and the Timberwolves just came in and smacked them all game long. Yes, it was close, but you could tell the Wolves had the energy that entire ball game. Um, so I, I'm excited for what this team can do in the future. Yeah. Um, they have a really young core to build around. Obviously, Cat's getting up there in age. Patrick Beverly's already up there in age. But to build around Edwards and D'Angelo Russell, um, you know, and some of those younger guys that you were mentioning as well, um, I think it's a really, really solid core to build on. And even if they don't go far in the playoffs this year, it's going to be one of the most exciting teams to watch moving forward. Definitely, definitely. Um, and then, I mean, I guess other series, I mean, the Suns, I feel like we're going to be talking about them probably a little bit longer. Great defensive game last night, only giving up 99 points. I believe New Orleans had 18 points with seven minutes left in the second half or in the first half. Yeah. Um, so the Suns, you know, people say the supporting brand of basketball, they do, but it works. Devin Booker's hitting his shots. Jay Crowder's doing his job. Mikel Bridges, a finalist for defensive player of the year. Sorry, it's not going to go to you. Marcus Smart's <laughs> got that in the bag, but hey, respect him. He's played Mr. Durability. He's played every game, every game he could have played in his NBA career. Um, you know, Chris Paul back and healthy. So I think the Suns really have this series in the bag against the Pelicans. Um, you know, great season by the Pelicans getting into the play and I, like I said, I think they took a, a page out of the Grizzlies book from last year, trying to just get into the playoffs, get this team some chemistry. So that way, when Zion's back, I mean, Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, Zion Williamson, if Alan Shunis is back, that's a pretty solid starting lineup. Um, looks a little bit like the Timberwolves. So who knows? I mean, something, something, some momentum going into next year at the very least for this young core. So. Yeah, and you can't forget some of those rookies on the team. Um, obviously, we have Jose Alvarado, yep. Trey Murphy, and then I'm forgetting the other dude's name, who's just an absolute stud for them. Um, but either way, it's a really young core that's looking like, like you said, a team kind of like the Timberwolves that can build up and get, you know, a lot of momentum and make their way up the West. Um, I mean, when when you look at what they did um, in that play-in game, you know, went up big, then got down big and were able to fight and claw back and get their way back into the game. Like that's just, you don't see that a whole lot from young teams like that. Herb, Herb Jones was the other guy I was just talking about another defensive yeah. player of the year candidate. Um, absolutely locked down. A lot of guys in that Clippers game was not able to do the same in the Suns game, but it's the Suns. What are you going to do? They're the best team in the NBA right now. Um, and it, the, Pel the Pelicans, I thought there was going to be a little more fight for them. They did play somewhat poorly um, in that game. I didn't stay up to watch the entire thing, but still, um, you know, it was more so their mistakes rather than the Suns just straight up beating them. Um, so I think, again, this is a game, don't be shocked if it goes six, but it most likely will go only four or five games, especially if the Suns capitalize on their own mistakes um, that they were making. So, and I think I think the Suns yeah. are going to adjust no problem this this series is in the bag, but who knows? Yeah. We've been wrong before. <laughs> we have, but hopefully Especially not with the Suns. <laughs> what? Well, I guess we had them win the finals. I guess, I guess that, I guess Last we got year, that. They went up but, two nothing. We were both like, yeah, it's over. It's done. Yeah. And then they but, great. Yeah. And then I guess last but not least the jazz Mavericks, I did catch a good, decent amount of this game. Very interesting game, especially in the first half. Donovan Mitchell with only two points. Rudy Gobert at three shot attempts the whole game. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell doing Donovan Mitchell things, having 30 points in that second half alone. 
Uh, uh, you know, huge missing Luca in that game for Dallas. I think everyone can agree if Luca was there, there's a very high percentage chance that game goes the other way. Doesn't look like Luca's going to be playing tonight. Clearly, it doesn't mean too much with the whole road home things because last year, obviously, we had that series with Dallas and the Clippers in the first round where the road team won the first six games. So it's obviously not end all be all. You play the games for a reason, but you think tonight we're going to see. Utah going back up 2-0 or um or Jason Kidd and and the Mavericks going to adjust to this I mean the fact that it took Donovan Mitchell to score 30 in the second half and he had no help from Rudy Gobert and Bohan Bogdanovic how was the main contributor in that offense I think is really telling that a Mavs team without Luka was able to keep up with them um so I, I think the Mavs if they play like they did um, and just play a little bit better defensively. I think that's, I think it's a wrap. I'm not a wrap for this game, but I'm going to say the Mavs have a good shot at winning the second game, especially at home. I don't think they want to lose to the jazz, especially with how that second half went. Um, so I think they're going to rebuild and rebound off that Jalen Brunson, Spencer did both over 20 points in that game. Um, they just got to shoot better from three. I mean, I feel like that's the story for each team that's lost. So far in the first round, um, either taking too many threes or not making enough threes is, you know, the kryptonite on this first round. So I think if they can make more of their threes and be more smart with their shot selection, um, I, I think it's it, it could be a game that they end up winning. So yeah. but I, I wouldn't put, put it past the Jazz to go up 2 nothing as well. Yeah. So and then series picks real quick. I'm just going to pull it up on the Instagram. I know mine off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure, but just want to just say it so everyone knows. So those that didn't see the Instagram post, we posted this first thing Saturday morning. So Heat Hawks, uh, Jordan's got heat in seven. I got heat in six. Uh, Net Celtics, we both have the Celtics in six. Phoenix and New Orleans, I have the Suns in four. Jordan's got the Suns in five. Minnesota, Memphis, Jordan's got the uh, Grizzlies in five. I got the Grizzlies in six. Uh, Golden State in Denver, Jordan's got Warriors in six. I got Warriors in seven. Utah and Dallas, this is one where we differ. Jordan has Dallas in six. I have the Jazz in seven. And then Chicago, Milwaukee, Jordan's got the, Bull, the excuse me, the Bucks in four. I got the Bucks in five and then Toronto Philly. Obviously we said a little bit earlier where we differ. Jordan's got the Philadelphia 76ers in six. I have the Toronto Raptors in seven. Mm -hmm. So those were our picks. I know we referenced them a couple of times, but just so those are all on the books um, on the podcast as well. That's what we had. So um, yeah. So by the next time, so we are going to be doing just before we transition to baseball, we are going to be doing a fantasy or fantasy wow holy crap <laughs> nfl draft mock uh or mock draft episode the night before the nfl draft i believe we'll record on the 27th we'll come out the morning of the 28th um maybe we can throw in some picks there if we know some series but it'll be mostly focused on um the nfl on that episode so um probably by the next time we're recording on a monday night uh or tuesday night or whatever night we end up recording on uh, we'll be in the second round. Cause I believe game sevens on that Sunday would be May 1st. So that's about two weeks away from now. Um, so maybe we can actually release our picks the same time the episode comes out this time around. It'll work on the, on the calendar that way. Yep. Um, sure. but yeah, anything else on the NBA before we, we kick it to uh live baseball for the first time? No, I think we're all set. I think it was a, um, one exciting first round of the NBA playoff, but also an even more exciting two weeks of baseball. Uh, to a certain degree, obviously, very few things are going to top the NBA 
playoffs. But I think overall, I think all the fans can agree this was, for whatever reason, everyone's been a lot more locked in to this MLB season. Yes, there was obviously the lockout, but I think even without the lockout and all the crazy movements right before the season started, I still think MLB would have drawn a lot of attention um, from just new fan bases in general. So let's talk a little bit about the first couple of weeks. Obviously, the Boston Red Sox did not start out hot against the Yankees, but it looked like they figured it out um, going through the past couple of games. Talk a little bit about what you've, you've seen on your end. Yeah, I mean, Raphael Devers is showing why he should get paid, has been uh, has been able to get a hit in every game this season, I believe, dating back to the end of 2021. He's at a 17-game hitting streak, which is the most That's since either Bogarts back in 2017. Um, so I'm hoping we can actually give this guy a good, decent contract. I know Xander Bogarts has played um, pretty well. Apparently there was a rumor he got offered four years and 90 million and turned that down. I feel like that's a little bit of a low ball, but we also don't know how accurate that is. But on the diamond, I think the Red Sox, at least pitching wise, their bullpen has been really their strong point that maybe not this series and the twins necessarily, but Garrett Whitlock. I mean, I don't think you can win a Cy Young being a long reliever out of the bullpen, but he has been other than that, that home run to DJ LeMay, he won opening day, which I think Cora left him in one batter too long. Um, he came in and shoved against Detroit four innings out of the bullpen. And I believe it was their fifth game of the year, their second win. And then the other day against Minnesota pitched two and a third scoreless innings. So He's going to be an all-time steal. We just signed him to a big contract. Um, like I said, Devers is hitting. Kike off to a slow start. Trevor Story, I think, is going to fit in very well with this team. I know he hasn't had like a signature Red Sox moment yet. Most of his RBIs have come to extend a Red Sox lead. I know yesterday he had a two-run single that brought them from four to one to six to one in Detroit. Um, you know, he had a couple couple clutch hits as well, but. Um, really, the Red Sox bullpen has been what's surprising to me in, in a good way. Um, Ryan Brazier struggled a little bit. Jake Diekman, we saw on that Sunday night game with electric stuff. We just mentioned Garrett Whitlock, Matt Barnes. He always has a strong start to the season, so I'm not reading too much into it. But I, I'm glad to see that he's got gained some confidence and that his off-speed pitches are working now. So mm-hmm. um, five and five to start the year, you know, not going to overreact in any way, shape or form. It's a long season. We did start out one and three. So it's good that we're, you know, winning some of these home games, big series coming up against Toronto today, or excuse me, tomorrow. Um, And then I think we travel to Toronto next week, which I know we already have some guys that are not vaccinated and not going to be able to play. But um, so far, I I like what I'm seeing from the team. I think this team will catch fire at some point, just Bullpen's got to keep doing what they're doing. Starting pitching's got to continue to be solid. Michael Walker, Tanner Houck had good starts this weekend, so hope to see it continue. Definitely. No, I think the Red Sox, I mean, even in that series against the Yankees, showed that they had the high-power offense to take on some of the juggernauts in the league. Not saying the Yankees are a juggernaut by any means, but I think this Blue Jays series is going to be very telling for Boston because Yankees struggled heavily against the Blue Jays and then struggled even more heavily, arguably, against the Orioles who we they have the Yankees number for some reason it just like in April they have their number yeah and and it's just one of those things that like is that going to cost us you know down the line is that going to be difference between us playing in the wild card series or getting a buy you know like that's it's one of those things this Yankee team I mean they're one one game back from the Blue Jays who they just uh they played earlier this year um but they're also tied with the Rays and the Red Sox so I the AL East being tight I think is what everyone expected um, you know, there's probably going to be three teams, maybe even four teams out of there, uh, getting into playoffs, which would be really neat to see, but, um, the Yankees got to figure it out. 
Um, I think Aaron Boone's made some good decisions this season, like pulling uh, Jermaine um, in the middle of one of those games. But I think he's also made some really poor decisions um, throughout the first couple of games as well, like putting in Chapman in a bases loaded bottom of the 11th situation where he played awful the night before and almost blew the game for them. So, and then ends up intentionally walking in the winning run, you know, and what they, they got shut out. How do you not put up any runs in two games against the Orioles yeah. in the three game series who are the right now, obviously not right now after those two games against the Yankees, but going into that series were the worst team in baseball. Just absolutely blows my mind. You get shut out twice. Yes. They had a nice win down to nothing one, five, two in that middle game. But still, the, the Yankees got to figure something out because to go in and I'm not going to say dominate Boston, but to have convincing win, two convincing wins against Boston um, and almost have a third, if not for, you know, deadening some baseballs. But then again, you could say Boston could hit some dingers if the baseballs were loaded like they almost clearly were in that first game of the season. Yeah, um, this is the first they, inning. Yeah, Stan and Judge, uh, Donaldson all hit what looked like dingers, but then ended up falling just a little bit short of the wall. If some of those go over, that could be a 3-0 sweep for the Yankees, and we're talking about a completely different team. Um, I will say this time, Yank- uh, last year, Yankees were 5-10, and 10, one of the worst starts in franchise history for them. Actually, the worst start in franchise history for them. Um, ended up rebounding and getting into the playoffs. Obviously, it's five less games played at this point because of the lockout. But still, you know, th- there's a little bit of hope for the Yankees with how they played compared to previous years in the first month of baseball, but... Again, Boone's got to make some better decisions. I don't know why he's rotating the lineup so much. I believe we've had the most different starting lineups in the entire MLB through the first 10 games. Yeah. I think we've had eight different starting lineups, and Rizzo sat for the first part of one of those games. I get there wasn't that long of a spring training. You didn't get to see as many guys as you wanted. Some guys might still be warming up into the season, and it is a long season. But still, you play your best guys. You know, like the, the fact that Glaber Torres, you're moving him to shortstop after saying in the offseason, I don't know if he could be a shortstop in this league, blows my mind. Um, yeah. So, again, well, we're going to see what the Yankees can do over the next two weeks. Um, obviously, that'll still be early as far as the season is concerned, and obviously nothing's going to be set in stone yet. But as of right now, I'm happy and angry with how the Yankees have started. It's a weird feeling, but, yeah, you know, it, it feels like they're leaving things on the table. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand, you know, sitting guys here and there, I will say I'm a little bit confused by the Glaber shortstop thing. Cause even like the Red Sox, Trevor store, there was a day we gave Xander Bogarts a day off, uh, you know, after a night game playing a day game and we still had Trevor story at second base and put Christian Arroyo at shortstop, which would make more sense to flip them that way. So things like that are a little bit definitely, um, confusing on that end. Um, just some other things, Dodgers doing Dodger things. I know they got off to a very miniature slow start, but, uh, one six in a row outscoring opponents 40 to nine and they're starting pitching over the last week has had a 0.56 ERA in that stretch. So that includes guys like Clayton Kershaw, which, um, got pulled from, a from one of those perfect games yeah. that you, you know, you don't see every day. Um, he defended Dave Roberts, which I feel like you should be defending your manager if you're Clayton Kershaw. Cause obviously if he came out and said something different, there would be a problem. You got any, I mean, I, and I don't think it's, I know when you went, so basically for those that, I mean, I feel like everyone knows at this point, Clayton Kershaw got pulled. Was that last Thursday, Wednesday, yeah. Thursday? I want to say it was um, like, it, either their fourth or fifth game of the season. Well, obviously yeah, it was a day game. Fourth or fifth in the rotation now, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Through, uh, through seven perfect innings, 80 pitch efficient, 
um, against the twins and then got pulled when Jordan first texted me, we thought it was maybe to do with analytics, but it clearly wasn't because I think it was more so just the pitch count short and spring training. Kershaw said he didn't pick up a ball for two or three months this off season, which is very unlike him. One, he didn't know where he was going during the lockout. Maybe if he was going to retire, but um, still, I feel like baseball history, you gotta, gotta let him have the chance to go after it. I, I, I don't know what the conversation in the dugout was. Kershaw was trying to stay in the game. I don't really know, but you got to at least try. You give up a hit, you give up a walk, take him right out. Who cares? But exactly. I feel like you need a shot at history. There's, 20, there's been 22 in all of Major League Baseball. I think this would have been the 23rd or other way. There's been 23. This would have been the 24th. But yeah. more times than not, it doesn't happen because there would be more of them every day. But exactly. um feel like he had to get a chance. He had to get a shot at that. Yeah, he, he should have, in my opinion. Like, I, I see from both sides. Like, yep, you want to save his health. He didn't pick up a ball a whole lot. Didn't really play in spring training. So you want to save his arm. But really, are 20 to 30 more pitches going to hurt him if he does throw the perfect game? Is that really going to be that detrimental to his long term of the season when he's probably going to be throwing 70 to 100 pitches every game he's in if he's playing well? And he's got to do that 30 times a year? Like, I don't see how 20, 30 pitches early in the season is going to affect him later on in the season. Obviously, I'm not a baseball or pitching expert by any means, but when you look at it from a macro level, he should have stayed in the game. And guess what? If he gives up a hit three pitches later, you still pull him. Who cares? Yeah. Like it's yeah. and, and if Kershaw said, hey, pull me, then props to Kershaw for realizing he wasn't going to be able to really push through the game and also knowing his limits and what he could do. But if that was strictly a management decision, um, or, or if he, it was partial either way and he was court, uh, kind of persuaded, I don't know why my mouth glitched out there, but um, <laughs> if he was persuaded to come out of the game in that situation, I, that's completely baffling to me um, why he even gets pulled in that situation. Yeah. I, yeah. And it's just not good for the game of baseball. I feel like in certain ways, because it's just the people who make the argument that, oh, back in my day, you know, my guys were throwing 235 pitches and then pitching on three days rest. And, you know, the game's progressed in that way, but in other ways, I'd like to see kind of that old school style a little bit as well. I mean, even if you walk a guy at that point, we've seen plenty of combined no hitters at this point. Like even if Kershaw came out, hit the next batter, like, all right, he doesn't need to throw the no hitter, like whatever. So whatever, but Hey, Dodgers are up to a hot start. Giants, Got to put some respect on their name. A lot of people thought last year may have been a fluke. They're also off to a hot start in no flashy fashion. I feel like I haven't heard much about them other than Carlos Rodon uh, pitching really well in his debut. Yep. Um, you know, Blue Jays leading the AL East. No shocker there. Chicago White Sox. I know Tim Anderson was suspended the first two games of the season, but he's been off to a hot start. Yep. Um, it's really, like I said, it's really hard. Nolan Arenado, but very hot start is Reynolds something it has the early season brewing of, of something special. I feel like just with Albert Pujols his last year, he's already hit two homers. He had a game tying the other day. I really, 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 really hope a home run mark this year. I think that would be awesome. Um, if he could pass David or excuse me, David Ortiz, Alex Rodriguez and become the fourth player ever with over 700, that would be awesome. So um, yeah, no, I hope, I hope, I hope all goes well for Pujols this year and the Cardinals. It'll be something special to see that. Yeah, I'm not going to say he's hit the fountain of, of youth, but he's definitely <laughs> better this season than I would say the majority of the season with the Dodgers. Um, already yeah. off to a really solid start, like you said. Um, 
obviously the Cardinals um, on top of the Central. Another team that I think a lot of people are not talking about are the New York Mets. They've been playing some really exceptional baseball to start off. They have a 26-run differential, plus 26, which is second highest in the league. I think just behind the Dodgers and a little ahead of the Giants. So props to the Mets, especially defensively, and without Jacob DeGrom, have really started to figure things out. Um, overall, like it's been a fun baseball year. I've even been tuning into some games that – you know, aren't Yankee games. And even when I tune in, I tune into about, I think five of the Yankee games, I've at least watched three innings, you know, like I feel more like to my point earlier, and I'm sure you feel the same way. We both feel more locked in to this MLB season than we have in previous seasons, especially with all the movement, with how loaded the Red Sox are with all the questions around the Yankees and overall, just the overall improvement of the league. I mean, Jack pulled up some stats the other day. Was it they're averaging four more million viewers a day across all games Yeah. Um, in total? Like that's amazing for the MLB league. And I think out of all major sports, they have the second high, second highest viewership share. Um, obviously the NFL is king and they're going to lead in that metric, no matter what in yeah. terms of money and viewership. But um, for baseball to be up there with the NFL and above the NBA, which has a huge global market not even just in the united states but over in japan over in russia europe like basketball is getting and africa basketball is getting huge worldwide and for baseball to still be getting a higher viewership above them is absolutely insane to me um so but obviously we're seeing why and we're seeing a really great start to the mlb season and to your point about perfect games and no hitters i saw jared carabas put out a tweet about nestor cortez and his immaculate inning. And he said, why are people Saving freaking out about an immaculate inning? Um, yada, yada, yada. I asked my dad, because he, he was a, one of the best high school pitchers in New York State, just was not able to get scouted due to not. At that time, you kind of needed money to get scouted. And our family did not have a lot of money when he was a kid. Um, but pitching the way he has, I asked him, like, hey, what do you think is harder, pitching a no-hitter or pitching an immaculate inning? And he said he, he, he's pitched about three or four no-hitters when he was in high school. He did not throw a single immaculate inning, and that's something he always strived for. So in, in his opinion, he says it's harder. Obviously, Jared Caraba mm-hmm. says a no-hitter is harder. you got to do it for longer, and you have the support of your defense to help you out with that. What are your thoughts on that whole conversation? Because I think that's interesting. I I, I got to agree with uh, Carabas on that one. I okay. just think the no-hitter, because there's so much luck that goes into no-hitter. I actually And I actually saw Chris Sale throw an immaculate inning last year against the Twins. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I watched it, I like, you know, when you're at the game, there's so much. I feel like when you're at the game, especially in baseball and probably even football too, there's so much more you miss. <laughs> like, I love being yeah. there. It's so fun being at a sporting event, but it's also a social aspect. You're talking to people, you know maybe checking your phone. I don't know whatever's going on, but Chris sale, I mean, nine pitches came up and I, I even said after one of my friends who I was with, he went to go get beers, came back. I said, I think Chris sale just threw an immaculate inning. He sat back down. I kept checking Twitter and then the Red Sox sure enough tweeted it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, he did. I thought there's a few, fa- <laughs> there's a few foul balls, obviously, but I couldn't remember if it was like, Oh, two, someone fouled it off off whatever like the the no hitter you have to get definitely lucky i feel like if you go back and watch any no hitter there's ever been there's at least one or two just like defensive web gems that you know are great plays that guys are making throughout the season but there's always like one or two plays where you're like up oh, that was it that was the play that changed where the immaculate inning you're i mean it is tough you're getting guys to swing and miss you're getting guys to fan and 
um, obviously strike out and, and not hit these pitches in play. But um, I just think the no hitter, obviously you have to come up basically. I mean, you can, you have some margin for error, walking guys, errors, all of that. But I think the no hitter just all in all is a little bit harder to get um, throughout a major league season, but. Yeah, I, I would, I'm, I'm going to agree and disagree because I think they're, they're different. You know, the immaculate inning, you could either get the best part of someone's lineup, the two, three, and four hole or the three, four, and five hole. Um, guys are going to get on base and hit home runs and you strike them all out in nine pitches. And I think that's, that has a lot of merit or you could face the seven, eight, nine, nine hole and all the batters have below a 200 batting average and they lead their teams in strikeouts. And then it's like, okay, you got an immaculate inning against the bad part of a lineup. So I think I, it'd be interesting to see all the data on it. Like what is the average whole spots that people get to um, or what's been the most frequent batting order when people throw an immaculate inning, I would yeah. assume it's towards the end of a lineup just because of the nature of it. Or it's when you're going against big home run hitters who just swing at everything and miss everything um, until they hit one. So I think that could be, interesting to see but and to the credit of the no hitter you know an immaculate inning is all on the pitcher none of that's on anyone in the field it's all on the pitcher whereas the no hitter is a collective team effort um defensively you know making sure you catch fly balls you get line drives you make accurate throws on ground balls which obviously the yankee shortstop can't do ifk he's been awful at that but that's neither here nor there um but like, like I said, that it's more dependent on defense. So I think there are two different things that are both really great quality-wise, depending on how they happen. Like, you could get a no-hitter where, you know, guys aren't just hit, hitting the ball right on contact and your fielders are just, you know, catching routine fly balls or making routine ground ball plays. Or it could be like the White Sox no-hitter back in 07 when you guys got guys jumping off the wall, making sliding catches on line drives. You know, like there's two different qualities to each. So I think it depends how you get it. So I think they're two different to compare, but at face value, I would say the no hitter is harder to, or is more significant to have, even though they happen three times as much as immaculate innings. Yeah. You ready for this one? And I'm actually happy you brought up this debate, not even really debate, but so uh, Red Sox minor league pitcher. He was up with us last year. Darwin's and Hernandez pitched for Worcester the other day. So he basically, he came out, you're going to need to hear this, Jordan. He came out, he threw eight pitches. He threw an eight pitch immaculate inning. I heard about this. He got three, he got three strikeouts on yep. eight pitches because now in the minor leagues, and this is, I, I don't know if they're ever going to implement this at the major league level. If there is nobody on base, the pitcher has to throw the ball and the batter has to be in the batter's box in 13 seconds in between pitches, which is pretty quick turnaround time. Yeah. So the batter uh, came up, the third batter came up. Darwin's and Hernandez actually did also throw a ball in this inning. And the same at bat, the batter did not get in the batter's box within the 13 seconds twice. So two automatically called on him. So Darwin's and Hernandez threw an immaculate inning, three strikeouts on eight pitches, and one of them was a ball. <laughs> Like, oh just, I don't know if you'll ever see that even with this, this new pitch clock. I don't know if we're going to have it stick around. Cause I think 13 seconds is a little extreme. Um, I think with runners on it's 19 seconds, but even so it's just with the running game and, and playoff games. I don't know if we're going to really want to see that, but besides the fact, a little tidbit uh, to, to add to the immaculate inning conversation that we just had. So for sure. 
So that I think that's super, the eight pitch immaculate inning point was super interesting. I saw that on John Boy as well. And in terms of speeding up the game, obviously that's one way to do it. Another way that's sometimes sped up the game, but also slowed the game down is the new pitch technology to relay the pitches to the pitcher mm-hmm. uh, from the catcher. For those that don't know, um, catchers now have, I'm not going to say a tablet or a pad, but it looks like they have something they can wrap around their wrist or wrap around their leg that has buttons that correlate with different pitches for the, uh, for the pitcher. They click one of the buttons and that tells the pitcher what they want to pitch. So the pitcher has a little, I believe it's a, a speaker a, in their hat, their hat yeah. that only they can hear. They have to cover their ear most of the time to hear because their fans are super rowdy. Um, and from there, they get the pitch. And sometimes it's failed and they've had to go back to signs for an inning. And sometimes it's worked really well and they get the pitch on the first time they click the button. So what are your thoughts on the new pitching technology? Do you think it's helping the game? Do you think it's going to hinder it? Or do you think it's just something they need to improve on and we don't have enough games under the belt yet? I, I think it's that last part. I think I, I like it. I think it's going to speed up the game a little bit. I like the old school sign stealing. I know obviously with the whole Astro scandal and what ha- was happening in Toronto now, like we just don't know what's going on. So I think it's going to add to it. Obviously there's going to be kinks that need to be worked out with it. There's probably even going to be teams that try and watch the catcher's hand and see what direction it moves in and see what pitch it correlates with. And that's going to continue. I think it's just part of the game. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily going to speed up the game. It, it probably will, especially, I think more so with runners on base, especially when there's a runner on second, cause you have a clear view of the catcher's crotch right there. So, yeah, um, yeah, no, I like it. I think, I think it's going to add to, you know, what the MLB is trying to do and the, the speed of the game, but also at the same time, just kind of prevent those sign stealing scandals. It's kind of like when one person ruins it for the whole class, it's kind of the same thing there with what the Astros did in 2017. Um, so it, it doesn't hurt. I think as long as it doesn't affect the pitchers and affect the catchers and affect the the play of the game, then it's not going to make a big deal to, um, to the players and to the fans as well. No, I don't think so either. No. Nah. So – yeah, no, I feel like this is like the least MLB I've had in a while. I had to, sh- I had Jared Carabas and some other guys tweet notifications like turned on, especially during baseball season, so I could see all the highlights. But now when I watch the games, I'm on like a 15 second delay, so I need to know what happens in the Red Sox game on my time, not on Jared Carabas' time. Yeah, so that's fair. Um, I feel like I'm missing out. I feel like I'm missing out on a little bit, but at the same time, I've, I've, I've kept up. It's, it's now that the Celtics are good, man, and the Bruins are Bruins clinched playoffs yesterday, like. I need to keep tabs around the league. It's, it's, it's hard. It's tough. It is tough. That's, I would suggest, I'm sure you already do this already. Whenever you're watching the game, just put your phone on, do not disturb and turn it upside mm-hmm. down. And if you need to see something, then you can obviously check your notifications and stuff like that, you know, and hopefully nothing yeah. major has happened in the, you know, the two second time frame you're checking your notifications. It kept, it kept happening in the Astro series oh, last God. year. It's just like getting so aggravated. So then this year, and then like, the opening day against the Yankees. Like I knew about Raphael Devers homers. I'm like, Nope, Nope. I'm done. It's over. I tried. I, I just, I can't, I can't. can't do so it. Nope. But we'll see. Pro- I'm sure by like June, they'll be back on. So, um, yeah, cool. Well, uh, I know we had a brief NFL segment to do, cause obviously we're going to have a whole dedicated draft episode, but, um, we're just going to go over, I know last time. So, probably a month ago now, Jordan, last time we recorded on a computer, 
Uh, Jordan and I did kind of an interactive segment. I did my top five uh, MLB transactions post lockout. Jordan did his top five NFL transactions, which mostly ended up, we realized being trades other than kind of what the Bengals did. So um, we're just going to go over some free agent signings that we feel like we maybe briefly touched on, but didn't actually go in depth over. I had three that I thought just really stood out to me. I'm sure Jordan has a few as well that, that really stand out to him. Um, but just going to kind of go on that. And obviously Jordan posted our most recent mock drafts. We'll definitely have more updates over 10 days away now. So, um, like we said, next Wednesday, we'll have an episode drop in. So, um, I don't know how many moves did you have Jordan? Cause I had three in particular. I really liked, yeah, but I had three as well. And all of them are more recent than when I made that list originally. So it's my top three since I made that list, but obviously your top three are going to be for the entire NFL off season. Um, so you'll yeah. have a much more macro view than I will. I'll be more on the micro side here, but why don't you kick us off, go run one through three, run through what you think have been the best moves so far. Yeah, so I don't really have an order to my my list, so I guess I'll go top, my favorite, and I, it's more so for the player himself, J.C. Jackson to the Chargers. I think we've just seen what they've done beefing up their defense. Um, it came into factor in that last, you know, the kneel-off bowl that should have been last year. Um, came into full effect. Their defense could not stop Derek Carr, could not stop Hunter Renfro. So I think getting J.C. Jackson is going to be huge for that team. I think he's going to continue his all pro, his all first team or all first team pro career in Los Angeles. I almost said San Diego, but in Los Angeles, he's still young, um, just 26 years of age. So I think he's going to, I think they got him for a steal. I think he's going to be absolutely electric there. And just, you know, aside of Sante Samuel Jr. who's going to continue to grow. It's going to be a really good defense and they're going to be a really exciting team to watch, especially going against Six times a year, Derek Carr, Patrick Mahomes, and Russell Wilson, they're going to need him. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, Devon, and guys like Devontae Adams, I know Tyreek's gone now. Um, Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, we don't know who the true one's going to be there yet, but it's going to be, you know, they're going to need him. They're going to need him for sure. Um, my second actually lies within the same division as well, Chandler Jones to the Las Vegas Raiders. Yep. I think you, I mean, you know firsthand, Jordan, I know firsthand he's, probably potential hall of famer down the line. Maybe that's a debate for a different time, but having him and Max Crosby line up and rushing the quarterback again in a very Mahomes, Russell Wilson. And um, why am I blanking Justin Herbert? It's going to be good. It's going to be important to get to the quarterback. We see guys like Bosa in this division. Um, Obviously the chiefs have Chris Jones is still there. I believe I know Von Miller is not on Denver anymore, but Denver defenses always figure it out. Um, so same thing with Vegas. I think they need to beef up their defense. They signed Mac, Max Crosby to that long extension as well. So um, I think they're going to have a top, potentially top line in a defensive line in the AFC, I think is going to be big for them. Um, and then my last one's a little bit under the radar, but I got Zadarius Smith going from Green Bay to Minnesota. We all have seen just the digression of that Minnesota defense and it was on full display last year kind of similar um you know to that Chargers defense so um I mean they made some other smaller moves too Harrison Phillips Patrick Peterson I think are going to be good signings that they had as well but the one that ultimately stands up stealing him from division rival Green Bay Mm -hmm. going over to Minnesota putting on that purple three years 42 million dollars I believe 
um, was the total deal. And I think guaranteed was 11.5 million or so. So not a bad deal from the Vikings perspective either with less than a third of that money being guaranteed for a guy who's almost 30. Um, but I think, I think we got to look out for the Vikings, especially with Aaron Rodgers really having nobody to throw to the bears still in that rebuild. The lions obviously still in that rebuild. Vikings have some good offensive weapons. If they can beef up that defense a little bit, they can definitely make a push at the playoffs. I know a lot of people had them in the playoffs last year, preseason before, um, you know, really knowing what that defense was going to be. New head coach is going to be interesting. So Justin Jefferson, a lot of people saying he could be the top wide receiver in football this year, which I don't know why that wouldn't be possible. I think it's definitely, he's in, he's in the top five right now. Um, so I don't know. I think the Vikings, it's going to be, it's going to be an exciting year for them. Um, so I think that beefing up that defense is kind of the first step. So, yeah, I, I agree. And I think, especially to that Justin Jefferson point, I think inking Kirk Cousins and making him the future for the next three years, I think that's really going to help out that offense really solidify and move into its own kind of groove. Um, especially for someone like Justin Jefferson, get Dalvin Cook uh, up and running. You get Irv Smith Jr. back from yeah. injury. He was out all last year, and he's a uh, people are still on the fence about him. Is he going to be a star tight end, or is he going to be like O.J. Howard, who had one good season? You know, so it's a lot of questions around this Vikings offense. And I think one of the certainty, one of the certainties, is that Justin Jefferson is going to be a top three receiver, if not the number one receiver in the NFL this next season, especially after you know. Um, Cooper Cup is most likely not going to have another triple crown season or get anywhere near to the numbers he had. And Devontae Adams is going to be 30 going into the season. And he's going to not be playing with Aaron Rodgers. He'll be with Derek Carr. So what are the likelihood that those two also have career years again? You know, it's it, it's very hit or miss. You know, we saw with Eric Ebron, like he led all tight ends with yards and touchdowns. Uh, not yards, excuse me, but he was top five in yards and he was number one in touchdowns three or four seasons ago, his first year with the Colts, and has literally done nothing since then. Um, so, and I'm not saying Cooper Cup or Devontae are going to have that drop off. They've been consistent throughout their careers, but obviously it's very hard to hit those peaks year after year after year. Devontae's done it now a change of pace and he's getting older. Can he keep yeah. that up? So we'll have to see, um, yeah. but I really like all three of those picks, especially the uh, Zadarius Smith one, lining him up opposite Daniil Hunter in a brand new defense. I think that's going to be really beneficial for both of them, especially with Daniil who's missed significant time. Uh, the past two seasons. So we'll see yes. how both of them do. And I feel like this season, and I know we said it a lot last season, there's really of the eight divisions. I think there's four divisions where right now you ask who the winner's going to be. It's clear cut. I think you got the bills. I think you still go the Titans. I know Matt Ryan's in Indianapolis, but I think you go there um, in the NFC. I think the Cowboys have that pretty much on lock. And I want to say the bucks too. Now that they got Brady back. Yeah. I think the Packers still are in that conversation, but in the North, it's kind of wide open. The NFC West, I think, is going to be a two-headed monster between the Cardinals uh, and the Rams and the 49ers still, but we don't know the whole Trey Lance scenario. Obviously, the West, you want to say the Chiefs, but we saw all the offseason moves that we just talked about out there. Um, And then the AFC North, obviously, the Bengals are the favorites going into it, but Ravens are going to bounce back with Lamar. Deshaun Watson now in Cleveland is going to add interest. So um, all these divisions, I think, that these races are going to be pretty tight. And free agent moves are going to have those kind of impacts that hopefully we see um, to make it another great NFL season. For sure. Definitely. I totally agree with that notion there. Um, And to that credit, like, 
like you said, you know, I'm, I wouldn't even put the Cardinals in that conversation. I would say it's the Rams and 49ers over the Cardinals with all everything surrounding Kyler Murray. You know, he says if he doesn't get an extension by the draft, you know, he he's not going to request a trade, but he's not going to participate in any of the preseason camp stuff um, in any of the training camp, any of the mini camp. Um, he's not going to do anything voluntary with the team. Um, if he does not get his extension, you know, and he, he could probably get 40 mil a year, you know, if we're thinking about it with his talent, his play level, like everyone will point to, oh, playoff success. Oh, he has a losing record as a starting quarterback. Oh, he's injury prone, blah, 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 blah. A lot of that has more to do with Cliff than it has to do with Kyler. Yes, I'm, yeah. I'm a big believer that when you compare Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, Tom Brady was the main reason that he was successful and the Patriots team was successful. When you put the shoe on the other foot, you're comparing Bill Belichick, one of the greatest coaches of all time, to Cliff Kingsbury, who, in my opinion, should not be a head coach in the NFL. That's a completely different conversation, especially a number one overall talent like Kyler Murray is. That's a completely different conversation. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Hopefully they give him an extension. And if not, um, I might have to burn my Cardinal shit, but who knows at this point. <laughs> You can't burn the Fitch jersey. You can't burn. No, the I won't burn the Fitch jersey, but the Pat Pete jersey can go. Um, I was about to order a Kyler jersey earlier this offseason, but then I held off like, eh, let's see. You know, there's some rumors spiking that I didn't necessarily believe in, but obviously you never know. Like rumors majority of the time are true in the NFL, but, um, you know, if they can't get a deal done with Kyler and they would rather pay Cliff and Kime, I just don't see the Cardinals ever succeeding until 2030 at the earliest um so that's right we'll see uh but going into my top three free agent moves some some of these are going to be extensions um or at least one of them is going to be rather than a free agency move but uh, i'm not going to rank them in any particular order just going to go through three that i thought were noticeable since my last ranking brandon cook signing a two-year extension to stay with houston that is has a lot of uncertainty he's signed through 2024 now so the next three seasons um, Cooks is a super underrated receiver is always putting up a thousand yards, always has near double digit touchdowns, usually at the top of the league in yards after catch. Like he is a playmaker in and out, even though he's been with four different teams throughout his what eight, uh, eight year NFL career so far. Um, I think having stability and a veteran leader in the locker room is exactly what the Texans need right now, especially since they'll be rebuilding over the next two years. Obviously, they have first two-round draft picks, but they're going to need a lot more than that. Um, I don't know with that second first-round pick if they're going to go for a QB or wait till the second round to get a QB or if they're going to rock with David, Davis Mills, who had, I'm not going to say a good season, but I would say average. You know, did solid for a rookie QB, played better than Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. You know, Justin Fields, I think his, his sample size was too small to make a judgment on. But I would say out of all the rookie QBs was the second-best rookie QB um, in this class that we saw last season. So they might want to rock with him one more season and see how he does with the new coaching regime and with the new roster and actual stars around him. We'll see what he can do with that. But Brandon Cooks re-signing him, I think, is going to be very important for this Texans uh, health of their organization and their franchise, especially through critical rebuilding years. And who knows, maybe at the end of this three-year contract he's on, if he wants to walk and go somewhere and win a Super Bowl, no blame to him. But if he's liking what's happening in Houston, he might want to stick around and might want to go make some plays for them and be a top player for them. So yeah. I could definitely see it happening either way. I really love that pick. Another one I want to talk about, another receiver, Sammy Watkins. 
to the Packers. Obviously, the Packers are in dire need of receiver help. Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard were not going to get it done themselves. They get Sammy Watkins, who obviously has had a super up-and-down career. But I think with the Packers and how they do their offense, he could fill. I'm not going to say he's going to fill Devontae Adams' shoes, but he's a very similar player. Can run the entire route tree. Can catch a lot of difficult passes. Has had those big breakout games that we saw. Um, like his first game with the Chiefs against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, broke off a bunch of big plays there. Um, and has had some big moments throughout his career. Obviously never lived up to that number uh, number four overall pick potential. But is someone who could succeed in the Packers offense. And if they nab another receiver in the first round with one of their two picks. Whether that's Jahan Dotson to play the slot. George Pickens to be another outside threat to take over for Alan Lazard. And then you rotate Lazard and Cobb and put whoever you want in the slot. Um, that there's so many different Traylon Burks could be available at that point. Jamison Williams, arguably the best route runner in the class could be available at that point. So there's a lot of different ways they could go with either of their first round picks where they steal right away at 22, or they wait till pick 29 or even trade back early second round. Um, there's a lot of good receiver depth in this, uh, in this draft. And I think getting Sammy Watkins actually adds some security to them nabbing a receiver in the first round because Watkins up there in age, Randall Cobb's up there in age. You don't know the playing ability of Al Lazard in the full season yet. So I think having a rotation of four receivers is actually going to give them a lot more help rather than just drafting a rookie and sticking with Cobb, Lazard, and whoever that rookie is. So I think those three rotating together, or those four, if they pick a rookie receiver rotating together, is going to be super beneficial, um, especially now with Tunyon coming back from injury. He missed most of last season. Um, I think it's going to be solid for everyone involved there. Then last one, I'm going to go Derek Carr with the three-year extension. I was going to go with either Stephon Gilmore or Denzel Ward signing their contracts, but I'm going to go Derek Carr, especially with Devontae Adams locking in there for a while. They bring in Chandler Jones. Max Crosby is making a name for himself on defense. Um, they bring in Rocky Sin from the Colts. That offense is building with Josh Jacobs, Darren Waller hoping to be healthy next season. Hunter Renfro with the breakout season. All they need to fix at this point is that offensive line. And they're going to do that in the draft, even with some of the later round picks that they have. Um, Inking Derek Carr, who was my, I believe, either number, I think he was my number 11 quarterback for the second year in a row in the league. I think Carr is super underrated. I think a lot of people will give him a lot of hate because he hasn't really done much with his career. But like you said a couple of shows ago, he has no excuses now at this point, and especially now with this contract he's got through 2025, the next four seasons, he really has no excuse to even get them to a Super Bowl in the next four years. Regardless if he wins one or not, he should be able to with what this roster is going to look like, not this season, but the following season. Once they get that offensive line in order, this is a scary Raiders team, especially now that the Chiefs are going to start have players start dropping like flies because of contract troubles. Um, the only team that's really going to challenge them is – Russell Wilson, if he plays like the way he has been playing throughout his career, and the Chargers, who are super young and are just adding talent and are going to take advantage of Herbert's rookie contract. So, yeah, it's yeah. either way, the, those, the AFC West is just going to be a nightmare to play against for years to come. Yeah, I'm thankful the Pats have the uh, AFC North as their division this year. To yeah. play. I think we get them <laughs> next year, so... We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But hey, we'll have a hundred mil cap space to spend after that, mm. um, after this upcoming season, apparently. But I really like the Brandon Cook signing. I think that is one of the most underrated signings. I I don't think it's underrated anymore because everyone 
who knows football kind of put that out there. It was like, don't forget about Brandon cooks and what he's done on now his fourth different team. And I mean, the, the, I hated when the Pats got rid of him because we made the Super Bowl the one year we had him and we didn't even have Edelman that year. Imagine him and Edelman on the same field for how productive Edelman pretty much was till the last year of his career with Cam Newton. Um, that would have been a sight to see with Brady Edelman cooks, um, obviously got the help the Rams get to a Super Bowl as well, ultimately lost to the Patriots that next season. Um, and then had great numbers in New Orleans as well, too, with Drew Brees. So I think he's a great receiver. I don't know why people kind of give him the hate that he gets. And he's not as old as we all think. I don't even know if he's the age of 30 yet. I want to say he's 29. Yeah, he's gonna be 29 this season. Well, he'll be 20. So he was not even 29 yet. So um, I love that. I think Sammy Watkins, that's an interesting pick, but I, I think you hit it on that. I mean, the Packers needed something and I know Sammy Watkins hasn't lived up to his potential, like you said, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. If, if you got to work with what you have, you already gave Aaron Rodgers a crap ton of money. What else do you want? Like you can't really do much else. Um, you know, you paid Aaron what he wanted and he got it, but this is what you're paying the consequences for. But I think they're getting the most, I think they'll get the most bang for their buck from, from Sammy Watkins. Um, and then obviously Derek Carr, like we said, it's, it's going to be interesting. The Raiders were a five seed last year with the roster that they had. They're adding superstars now. So the, again, no excuses for them not to at least make the playoffs next year. I think winning, I think with, like you said, with that division, winning the AFC West, you can't have, you can't even pencil anyone or you can pencil someone in, but you can't, if they make if the team makes the playoffs out of that division, winning the division or not, you can't call it a failure for not winning your division. Obviously you can call it a failure once you get into the playoffs and if you don't advance, but um, it's really just a matter of getting in. I feel like, because I think anyone who finishes fifth, sixth, seventh in the AFC, especially if they're coming from the West is not going to be your average five, six, seven seed. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you, you go back to the Sammy Watkin point. I mean, like besides Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson recently, what good QBs does he play with? He played with Jared Goff in 2017, who, you know, was still figuring out the kind of quarterback he was. His first three years in Buffalo, he had a carousel of quarterbacks between Tyrod Taylor, EJ Manuel, yeah. um, and a couple of other backups, Nathan Peterman being one of them. He goes to Kansas, obviously has Patrick Mahomes to go to, but Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill were also in that offense. So he was a third option in a loaded offense. And even as a third option, had pretty good third receiver numbers, 519 for three touchdowns, 673 for three touchdowns. Um, and two for, uh, excuse me, 420 yards and two touchdowns. And only one of those seasons, he got 90 targets. And it was in that 2019 season after Mahomes absolutely went off. And then most recently, uh, this past season in Baltimore, I mean, Lamar Jackson didn't play. He, he, I mean, he played, but, you know, but, you yeah. Tyler Huntley throwing the ball, Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews. Again, he was the third option in that offense. And Devin DuVernay became the third option later in the season. So, but Sammy Watkins has never been in the right situation. And now, as of right now, is the clear-cut number one wide receiver. Obviously, we're going to see what rookie receiver they get. But it's very rare a rookie becomes the number one receiver, unless your name is Jalen Waddle and Jamar Chase. But other than that, um, those and Justin Jefferson, those are one-off guys that happen every once in a blue moon every couple seasons. Even though we've just seen it a lot as of late. <laughs> yeah, as of late, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I think Sammy Watkins pairing him up with either the massive Alan Lazard on the other side or rookie receiver, like the names I mentioned before, could thrive with Aaron Rodgers' QB. I mean, he's the sa almost the same age as Brandon Cooks. He's going to be 29 going into this next season. And I think 
that he will excel with Aaron Rodgers at the helmet. Obviously, everyone will give Aaron Rodgers credit, but people forget what Sammy Watkins did his first two seasons in the NFL. I mean, with the first two seasons combined, he had 125 catches, 2,029 yards, and 15 touchdowns in 29 games. Like, that's are, those are impressive numbers for a rookie receiver to do. I mean, he averaged 70 yards a game. Like, that's super impressive. Those are I'm not going to say those are Justin Jefferson numbers by any stretch of the imagination, but you go back in history over the past decade, what other receiver put up those numbers in his first two seasons other than Justin Jefferson and now coming up Jamar Chase? You know, it's probably a short list of guys who play better than that besides yeah. those two. Um, so if he can get back to form and come back down the surface, Sammy Watkins could be in for a big 2022 with Rodgers at the helm. Definitely. No, definitely. I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see fantasy, fantasy football wise too. Which Packers receiver do you take? Which <laughs> Packers <laughs> running back do you take? Yeah. Um, with uh, Thizilla, AJ Dillon from Boston College. But Which Packers um, tight end do you take? You'd even go for that direction because yeah. Degura played really well down the stretch. Yeah, so a lot of lot of mock drafts to do. Go on ESPN. I've already done a few. Thanks, Mitchell. Um, but yeah, that's that's all I had. I don't know if you had any late hits or anything like that, but I got everything everything covered. I needed to. Let me see. I have ooh, Ben Simmons is expected to make his Nets debut within the next week. Breaking per Legion hoops and Pat McAfee. I'm googling it right now. That's wild. Let me see. I don't yeah, think Bleacher I... Report saying Star is pain free ahead of return. I, like I said, he hasn't really been playing. From what I've heard, he has not even been like participating in scrimmages. So we'll see what happens. What's up? And Marcus Smart officially is one defensive player of the year. Let's fucking go. Let's go. Good for Marcus. I that that's great. that makes me happy. That may, that that like like just so everyone knows, however many years ago, I mean we just signed him this offseason to the four year extension, and everyone's batting an eye. Everyone's saying Brad Stevens doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. That last possession of yesterday's game, the defend on the defensive end and the offensive end, just came full circle for Marcus Smart. He has just shown how much he has grown for this team. Mike Gorman. Uh, Celtics announcer said it. The next number that goes in the rafters for the Celtics is going to be Marcus Smarts, and he's very well on his way to that. So, very happy for him. Um, 28, right? 29? 28. 28 years old. He's been in the league. I think this is his seventh season, I want to say. Seven or eight. So I think every, I think every seat, and I want to say, and you can, you can, someone can stat check me on this. Every year he has played for the Celtics, we have made the playoffs because we had, and I think this is correct because we had the sixth pick after missing the playoffs in 2014 and his first season was 2014, 2015. Yes, we were a seven seed and I believe we got swept by a LeBron led Cleveland team, but we have not missed the playoffs since. So yeah, yeah, no, uh, that is, that is great. I'm very happy for him. He, he, he has earned it. He has grown. It's been, it's been awesome to watch him grow into the player that he is. So um shout out him shout out marcus smart shout out 100 percent. that's awesome wow i could cry I have trivia i don't know i'll oh, go for it go I for it trivia for once go for um, it all righty it's nba playoff trivia mm-hmm. and i know we're a ways away probably a month but mm-hmm. nba finals trivia yeah okay which nba player 
was the first to win two NBA Finals MVP awards. Seeing that Giannis, if they get to the finals and win, could threaten for a second mm-hmm. MVP final award. A, Will Chamberlain. B, Michael Jordan. C, Willis Reed. Or D, Larry Bird. So it's the first to win two? First to win two. Um, I'm going to go... I'm going to go Wilt. Wilt Chamberlain? Wilt, yeah. That was wrong. Is it Willis Reed? Willis Reed won his first NBA Finals MVP award in 1970 and then won his second in 73 when he played for the Knicks both times. Wow. Okay. He also played against the same team, the Los Angeles Lakers, in both those finals. Wow. Okay. So Interesting. Interesting. I do have one. I do have one trivia question. Okay. All right, so we saw Anthony Edwards in his playoff debut score 36 points the other day. Third most all-time, tied for third most all-time in an NBA playoff debut. Who has the most in their NBA playoff debut? I'll give you the number. It was 42 points. Okay. Was it George Mikan, Derek Rose, Luka Doncic, or Anthony Davis? Ooh. Oh. Part of me wants to pick Luka because I know he had a dominant first series in his NBA playoff career. What was the first name? George Mikan. Mikan, Rose, Derek Rose, AD, or Luka. I'm going to go against my gut and I'm going to go Derek Rose because he was very dominant early in his career. So that was actually from that. That's funny. That was from that playoff series I mentioned earlier, that Celtics Bulls playoff series tied with Anthony Edwards for third with 36. You should have gone with your gut. It was bubble Luca with 42 really um, against the Clippers. George, George Mike in second 37 Uh, Rose tied with Edwards 36, Anthony Davis at 35 um kareem gary brokow as well both had 36 chris paul 35 wilt 35 devin booker last year 35 brandon jennings 34 old name you probably never haven't heard in a while um but yeah those are the top guys fun thing about the nba finals as well just just throwing out this what if scenario and then we we can hop off i feel like we've been on for a while Mm -hmm. if so so i believe game one of the nba finals is thursday june 2nd i want to say if, if, if the Celtics can get to the finals, and this is a long stretch too, because I really want the Suns. I know you got the Grizzlies, but if the Warriors also make the finals, I will be in the Bay Area for games two through four of the NBA finals. Now, I mean, the, the Warriors make it, if the Warriors make it regardless, like maybe I go, but if it's like Warriors Bucks, like, Want to spend like four hundred dollars? And in, and Steph Curry play? Why wouldn't you go? We'll see that. But if it's the Celtics and and Warriors, we'll, we'll see what happens. Have I, I said to my dad, I'm like, I don't know if we're gonna miss a, a stadium for this. But he was like, I, if it's Celtics, I mean, this is a long stretch here. Like we got a long ways to go. We, we're just at game one now of all these series. Yeah. But I'm just throwing that out there. That like. I'm obviously rooting for the Sun. I'm obviously rooting for Sun Celtics. What like that would just be? I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't. That'd be fantastic. But I'm just saying it. It could happen. Yeah. It could happen. Just throwing that out there. So uh, 
Either way, I think you go because I think the the Warriors if the Warriors get it with at least one superstar. I mean, if they play the Heat, yeah, you see Kyle Lowry, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, yeah. Um, you know, if if it's any of the top four teams in the East, it's a yeah. Go see it. It's a yeah. It's a factor of logistics because like Game Two will be in LA, but I think if it was like Celtics and Warriors, I actually I believe the Warriors finish with a better record, so that would be something we would have to figure it out. But games two through four will be in Calgary. Or is it based on record? It's based on record once you get to the finals. So, um, yeah, I think the Warriors, I want to say the Warriors had 52 wins and the Celtics had 51. So, I thought they did too, but I thought I saw it the other day. Um, Crap, now I need to check. Yeah, I'm checking now. I love how when I go to standings on ESPN, I meet or sports teams, I immediately go to the NFL. Um, Yeah, (laughs) so the the Warriors have. The Warriors have. More wins than everyone except the Heat. So the Heat, yeah. At that point, is it seeding or does it go to conference? I think at that point it might be seeding. So, okay. all right. So that means games one and two. So still would have to figure something out because I wouldn't be there for game one. Might have to miss the Dodgers game, but like, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's a long way, long ways away. Long ways away. Basketball or see the Dodgers kill someone. Like I know, but I need to hit all the stadiums. But we'll see. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll see what happens. Who knows? It'll be fun. It'll it'll be fun to like low key roof. I mean, I could drive down to Phoenix too by a Sunday. Just just drive just drive all the way from San Francisco down to Phoenix. That would be a that would be a fucking That'd be drive. A killer drive. That would be a killer drive. I mean, for the Celtics and for the Suns, maybe. But maybe. cool. Well, I don't want to keep everyone. I feel like we've been on here for a while, but uh, yeah, be on the lookout next week. Bonus pod, middle of the week, something different. Go Celtics, go Sixers, go Suns, go Warriors. Yeah.